choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. feel like I need a pipe and an ascot and a monocle. <laughs> Tweed jacket with the patches. Hi, everybody. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I had a knee replacement a little while back. And hi, Facebook. I hope my slip isn't showing or whatever. Um, do you even know what a slip is? How, how old do you have to be to know what a slip is? Like over, I don't know, over 50. Uh, so I'm going to talk about my knee surgery in just a second, but I, I wanted to say that I am... Uh, we scheduled months and months ago, before I scheduled my knee surgery, uh, for, for me to preach today, and I am really, really excited about it. I, I wish you all had the benefit that we have of working up to messages, you know, where we're working behind the scenes and planning and thinking about music, and it's one of the reasons I really encourage you to do your personal worship every week, because it's like the Holy Spirit and you and us and, and his word get in this conversation that culminates in a day. And so I'm really excited about this because I just had this amazing sense of peace. It's like the Lord is saying, this is a day for breakthroughs for people in this church. For real breakthroughs. Wherever they are. And uh, so with that in mind, I want to tell you about my knee, all right? So I, uh, you know, I was born with what I assume was a healthy knee with good knees as far as I knew. But over time, it became apparent that um, there were some internal forces beyond my control, some genetics and things like that. Uh, my dad and my grandma had horrible knees uh, mixed together with a lot of sports and habits and, and injuries and things like that uh, that caused my knees to deteriorate to a point um, that I could not keep them healthy enough to function uh, by ordinary means. So I made a decision to go to the specialists, to go to the experts, to go to the people who deal with this. Uh, and if I describe to you what they did to me, how they s just vandalized me, <laughs> y 
you'd think I was crazy. If I showed pictures, you'd just leave, you'd just pass out. You'd leave the room, you'd never come back. And if I told you some of the risks involved and some of the, you know, what you have to do for rehab and I'm wearing pantyhose right now. Like right now, I have pantyhose on (laughs) so that I don't get blood clots, right? And I haven't taken a shower for two weeks, two weeks. Keep your perimeter is what I'm saying. Because I could get an infection, and if you get a bad infection, they have to take it out. So there's all these things, and if you heard that, you you might even question the wisdom of why I would do this at all, right? So why did I do it? Well, I did it for three reasons. The first reason is that I wanted to be productive. I wanted to be fruitful. I was made for that. And my knees were becoming a serious impediment to my fruitfulness. I was made by God. You were made by God. We were made by God to cultivate the garden, to create. We were the created ones made to create, right? Uh, That's what work really is. Work is creative activity. It's a part of the fulfillment of what we call the creation mandate. And I was coming to see that my knees were becoming a serious impediment to that. So that was reason number one. I wanted to be fruitful. The second reason is I didn't want to hurt anymore. I was tired of hurting. Hurt all the time. It got to where I could do less and less things without it hurting. And I just don't think I was made, you know, I don't think we were made to be in pain all the time. Now, I by no means mean to compare the the nuisance pain that I experienced with the real long-term chronic suffering that that people experience. But I'll say the second reason besides wanting to be fruitful is I didn't want to hurt anymore. But there's a third reason, and it it has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today as we look at Psalm 46. I did it because I have this great support system. There's amazing technology that can take and, and literally replace my knee joint to the point that it's better than it was when it was healthy, stronger than it was when it was healthy. There are incredible doctors who, who have great skill and experience and, and uh I've done it thousands of times. They're able to do it with great precision to replace my knee. And then I have this amazing family and friend support. Uh, You guys that have brought us meals and all kinds of encouragements and everything. I got these socks. I got these socks just because they were fun. I mean, that you know, they were fun. I got them for my birthday from the Lafferty's. And they're right, they are fun. Just things that would encourage me, put wind in my sails, and also just be there materially, physically to help me through it. So I had this great support. And then, finally... I have this amazing immune system that God has given me, the incredible ability that my body has to heal. If I didn't have those things, I never would have done it. So I wanted to be fruitful. I didn't want to hurt anymore. And I had this great support system that I could trust. I knew what it was like to have a healthy knee, and I was starting to forget. (laughs) I wanted it again, so I did it. So, um, So that I could be more fruitful and suffer less pain. So here's the thing. There's a spiritual correlation to this. And it has to do with our tears. With our sorrows. With our anxieties and our fears. You see, tears are a symptom of a wounded soul. Or... They are the demonstration of an understanding and a grieving over a wounded world. 
Do you know what God says one of the key elements of that beautiful new place will be when he remakes the heavens and the earth? It says that he's renewing his heavens and his earth, right? That the, the new city is going to come down to earth and he's going to make it new again. Do you know what one of the central elements of that is? God says in the new city, there will be no more tears. We were made for peace. We were made for joy. We were made for flourishing of body and of mind and soul in perfect fellowship with our God. And then the world broke. Sin entered. Rebellion entered. We desired to be God for ourselves. And it disrupted our peace. And with it came tears. So what do we do with our tears? This is one of the reasons, by the way, that we entered into the study of the Psalms. Because the Psalms help us process our tears. If you've been going through them with us, you know that. We see in the Psalms that we don't stuff or ignore our tears or try to dismiss them with some spiritual platitudes, live in denial. That's what religious, religious, religious people tend to do. Quote you a Bible verse, it's all okay. We don't, we don't under-realize our emotions, but the other thing that we don't do at the same time is we don't languish in them either. We don't get paralyzed by them. We don't treat, treat them like an abusive spouse. We don't get used to them. We don't let them become normal in our lives and leave us without hope. That's what the secular line of thinking can do sometimes. So what do we do with them? What do we learn from the Psalms? Well, the first thing we learn is to expect them. We expect our emotions. We expect our tears. The poet in Ecclesiastes, the one who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, said, he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Why would that be? Well, because God does something in a broken world. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, God speaks through him and says, when he describes conversion to faith, here's how he describes it. He says, I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. When you walk with Jesus, your heart becomes more touchable. You become in touch with the things that Jesus is in touch with. You come to see the world through Jesus' eyes. You weep for yourself and for the world the way He weeps. Tears are appropriate in a broken world. They're necessary. They're part of what God brought God here. So the second thing you do besides expecting your tears is that you process them. You plant them for the purpose of redeeming things, healing and growing, better equipped for mission, for glorifying God and for enjoying Him. In Psalm 126, it says this, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves, his harvest, with him. So what are we to do with our tears? We are to process our tears. We're to plant them. We're to process them with an end. It takes work. It takes cultivation. It takes effort and strain and sweat and pain to process our tears so that we can become mentally, spiritually, emotionally healthy for the task at hand. So let me step back for a second and say this with that in mind. And I want to say this with a little disclaimer. I don't want you to be discouraged by what I'm about to say if this is not how you feel as a Christian. But Christians should be the toughest most resilient, most balanced, most peaceful and productive people on the face of the earth. People of God should be the toughest, most resilient, most balanced, most peaceful and productive people on the face of the earth. Why? Because we ought to know best how to process our emotions. Because we see throughout Scripture and most clearly in the Psalms that it's safe to be desperate before God. To bring Him our pre-reflective emotions, our pre-reflective thoughts, bitterness, anger, despair, outrage, sorrow, depression. To bring it before Him before we've even thought it through. Because we know God's redemptive story. And we know that we were made for peace and we were destined for peace. So we've read a lot of laments this year. If you've been with us, I get these funny phone calls or texts. They're like, ugh, did you read the psalm this week? Just dark, you know, my soul dwells in darkness. All these morbid things are, you know, crying out to God, when, where, why? The end, you know, like period. Those are laments. Those are the psalmist processing his tears. But the psalmist comes along in Psalm 46 and he does something else. This is more of a post-reflective psalm. This is after the psalmist has done the work of sowing his tears and tilling the soil and stepping back and thinking uh, from God's perspective perspective in the midst of his uh, divine redemptive plan. And he kind of gives us a model, a pattern for the processing of our tears. So uh, I want to give you sort of a theology of tears today. Let's take a look at this psalm, starting at verse 1 in chapter 46. The psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Boy, you can blow right through that. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Whoa. Whoa. You don't know refuge until you've needed refuge. You don't know the warmth and safety of a place until you've been out in the cold wondering if you'd ever find it. But note the first place the psalmist goes, especially if you're a Rio person and you know about the rhythm of grace and we begin by what? Remembering God. The first thing the psalmist does post-reflectively is he remembers God. Who he is, where he is, He's our refuge and our strength. He's very present in our times of trouble. He's in our midst. He dwells. He abides in us in our times of trouble. He's there. Therefore, says the psalmist, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble as it's swelling 
The psalmist has thought about his tears and he says, because God is with us, there is, no, there is nothing to fear. Even when the most stable and certain things are rocked, utterly destroyed, swept into chaos, we can be calm. We can be at peace. The psalmist means to span the greatest travesties in the world. Make no mistake, the authors of these psalms, primarily David, imagine what King David had been through far more than you or I could even imagine what he'd been through in body and mind and soul, the loss that he had suffered. He had in mind, as the the psalm was written, the overthrow of dynasties, the destruction of nations, the ruin of families, the persecution of churches, the reign of heresy, personal defeats, losses, tragedies. So maybe to the modern person, he might say this. Though someone who formed you failed you. Though you've lost your job, your house, your way of life. Though your nation's moral fabric seems to be unraveling by your estimation. Though you're at war in your own home. Though your way of seeing the world has become not only unpopular, but maybe even thought of as evil, and therefore you've suffered the commensurate persecutions for what you hold dear, even still, though you've lost a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a spouse, a child, you need not fear. Why? Is it because you're living in denial? No, David wasn't living in denial. He says it's because there's a river, you see. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God's people are His city, do you see? You are his city, and he's with you. His grace runs through his people. God's grace ran through and nursed the Garden of Eden. When it's described the way things ought to be, God's grace ran through that garden. In the present times, in these present times, evil uh, lurking and, and anxiousness and divisive ways, divisive days, God's grace runs through His people. His river runs through you. It's a promise. It nourishes you, revives your soul. It cleanses your sin. It equips you for life. And in the end, in the new day, God's river will flow. How do we know that? We know that because it was secured by a real person. Jesus, God decisively revealed on earth to show us His love, to live His perfect life in the midst of His persecutions, to secure that river of grace in you. We know it because of Jesus. We can have confidence in it. Genesis chapter 2. The description 
of the way things ought to be. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. John chapter 7, in the midst of Christ's ministry, in the midst of his struggles and persecutions and sufferings, in the now and the not yet, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That means you. You're in the now and the not yet. That's accessible to you now. Revelation 22. In the end times, God describing what the new city will be like. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. You see, throughout his redemptive story, God leaves us with this beautiful picture of his peaceful presence in the midst of all of our circumstances. He shows us we were made for peace. We were made to flourish. And by his grace, our faith in him guarantees, guarantees this future hope that we'll have peace again. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says, He is under siege with us. If you feel like in your life you are under siege from the outside, people leaning into you, people in circumstances after you, closing in on you, the scriptures teach that God has joined you in your city and He's besieged with you. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. Spurgeon again, He desolates the desolators. He's not a warmonger. But you think there's somebody in this world who has too much control, too much power. You think evil continues to reign. What we know from God's redemptive story is that God will desolate the desolators. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. It's not just that God wants to fight. It's that God is bigger than all of that. It's that God will bring war to an end. He'll bring war in your soul, war in your addictive or depressive struggle, war in your home, war in your job, war in this nation, in the world. He will bring it to an end and He will ultimately usher in peace. That is His aim. So God not only has the heart, but the power to fulfill His promise to complete his story of redemption. And so, the psalmist says, be still. The reflective psalmist who's now had time to plant and cultivate his emotions, think them through, imagine them from God's perspective, says, set down your fears. Set down your sorrows. Set down today's problems and tomorrow's worries. Stop in the midst of your tears and remember, be still, my child, he says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob 
is our fortress. So we can process our tears. We can endure. We can do more than survive. We can do more than just find peace. We can prosper. Even in the midst of our tears. That's the theology of tears. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to You in the silence of this place from all different places on the spectrum. We come here, some of us fine, happy, full of joy. Some of us in deep darkness and isolation, overwhelmed with fear. Some of us in the middle, just trying to sort some things out. We all come to you, though, needing to know how to process our struggles, our tears, our anxieties, learning how to plant them, cultivate them, fertilize and water them so that they grow into beautiful, redeemed things. Lord God, we praise you and we thank you for the gift that is your living water, the grace that flows through us, through your creation, that sustains us, that restrains evil even now, but whose end it will be to wash it away so that your garden might grow again in perfect peace and flourishing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we wanted to take a few minutes uh, today. We also anticipated before we uh, ever did the psalm study that it would be a wonderful opportunity for us to really uh, talk a little bit about a really relevant issue these days, and that is mental health. Uh, There's a lot of conversation, a lot of uh, discussion, and sometimes controversy over mental health. We know that uh, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of depression, all kinds of clinical struggles out there, and uh, we thought this would really be a great opportunity as we talk about processing emotions Uh, to talk about mental health um, as the church. And so, um, I'm going to invite some guys up here. Come on up, and they're going to help me chat about this for a little bit. So, these are my buddies. You guys know Ryan and Tom. Many of you probably know Don, an elder here, just moved up to West Palm, and uh, God's going to get him for that. Um, He's out of the will of the Lord. We proclaim that. This is an intervention. Um, and this is Dr. Heather Clark, uh, who all, uh, Don's a, a, a psychologist, therapist, and so is uh, Heather, a great dear friend of the church. Uh, and we brought them up here because we want to talk about some of these things. Um, so here's the deal. There's something about this issue that, that people treat differently, right? So nobody has any problem with me having a knee problem and going and getting my knee fixed, right? Going to the doctor, getting surgery, whatever I need to do. In fact, you might even think I'm nuts if I don't do it. My family's been thinking that for 20 years. Uh, why don't you just go get the thing fixed, man? You, I found out from, from Frank Amaker, one of our greeters, he said, you know how they described you before? They said, it's the pastor with the crooked leg. So uh, why don't you guys tell me that? It's embarrassing. But So nobody begrudges me going to the doctor for that, but there's some strange thing when it comes to your emotional health, your, your mental wellness, that, that there's something about that you're supposed to kind of suck it up, you know, and just deal with it. Um, 
And uh, so it's somewhat stigmatized sometimes, certainly in the church, or at least it's an embarrassing thing we don't talk about. There's a flip side to that. You know, we can also turn to the professionals uh, way too quickly, you know, before we've accessed those formidable tools that God has given us in our everyday life, something that we'll call a spiritual immune system uh, that God has given us. Um, And so what we wanted to do today is help you find that balance and maybe make those decisions uh, and get the help that you need or maybe access that help for a friend of yours or a family member or something like that. You know, you may have come here today and said, you know, I just, I'm I'm doing okay. I feel good, you know, and I don't want you to think we're saying, oh no, you don't. You're in denial. You must be having a problem. You are. We just don't want you to think that. But that was a joke. Um, You might be here feeling fine, but I guarantee you in this day and age and in this world, you know somebody who has these struggles. So we wanted to give you some some resources there. So first, I want to define mental health for you. It's just kind of industry standard for how you define mental health, and I think it's good. Uh, Mental health is a state of well-being in which every individual realizes his or her own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitfully, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. I think that's a great definition. Uh, Dr. Clark added something to that, which I think is equally important for uh, a Christian. So for the Christian, we say all of that, plus the ability to forgive yourself, to live life in accordance with God's plan and design, realizing, realizing that you're coming from a place of peace already. It's been bought for you by Christ. It was woven into the creation of things and you know what peace looks like. So mental health for us is a return to what we know. Okay, so to achieve that, God has given us tools and we'll start with what I call the spiritual immune system, all right, to deal with our tears, to deal with our struggles. Um, We have our own uh, mental, emotional, spiritual faculties, okay, within us, kind of like my uh, internal immune system. But we also have God's word and his Holy Spirit and we have our community, all right? So to put it in our language at Rio... Um, Part of our spiritual immune system is worship. We come together weekly to worship together and practice that rhythm of grace, that healthy reflection on our lives, remembering God, being honest with Him about our sin, about our struggles, resting in His grace, not just getting stuck in them and our struggles, receiving His wisdom and doing what it says. We practice that when we come together corporately and encourage each other in that way. We practice it daily in our personal worship where we dig into Scripture reflectively considering our lives. That's part of our immune system. So you need to keep that in mind. Do I have a healthy worship ethic in my immune system? The second thing uh, is our community. We have like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ, pastors, people in our day-to-day lives that encourage us and empathize with us and speak into our struggles with us, older, wiser people, people who've been through what we're going through and, and now see it through a, 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 a spiritual lens. Uh, we have all of that. Do you have that or do you feel isolated from community? That's part of your immune system. And then the third thing is actually mission. It's actually having hope. It's having a mission. It's having a, a vision of renewal. You know, as we say at Rio, worship community renewal. That's, those are kind of the postures of, of life at Rio. Well, a mission is what gets you outside of your own head and gives you hope. It's something uh, bigger than you is going on in the midst of your struggles. You know, it's, there's, there's, there's research about that. World War II, Holocaust survivors, POWs. Very statistically significant improvement in people's survival rate if they had hope. If they had something to look to after their struggle. So that's another part of it is mission, worship, community, mission. 
Uh, those are your immune system. But you know what? Sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes you, you've got bigger issues and you need to get some more help. You need to get some uh, professional help. You need to go to the experts. So to help remove a little bit of the stigma and, stigma and, and normalize this conversation a little bit, I wanted you to hear from your pastors and from a couple of our therapists that we work with regularly. Um, so uh, I'll briefly tell my story. And I'm, I'm doing this just because uh, we hope you all know we're just regular guys, but we're, we're tasked with leading the church and you typically hopefully think your pastors kind of have it together, right? Um, well, uh, you are so wrong. I had a friend of mine... Last week, I was speaking at a thing, and she came up to me after, and she goes, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were so screwed up. It was the best. She's sitting in here, and she knows who she is. Um, she might have just laughed a little louder than everybody else. Uh, so here's my quick non-sob story deal, all right? So I've been, to, uh, I've, I've been to the professionals three times in my life. The first time was in college. I was depressed, struggling with, I'd never been in this funk before. I just finished football like forever. Uh, a girlfriend that I really cared for broke up with me. I was really feeling dark and having some scary thoughts and things. And so I went to the psychologist that worked at our church. He gave me a book. We met three times. I was great. It, it, it broke me out. Great. Several years later, I was in seminary and I had the, the, the honor of driving our psychology professor from the airport every week. And uh, he helped me work out some life and career issues. I basically got a 45-minute counseling session for free every week. Uh, he probably loved that, but he's probably so thrilled to get off that plane and then listen to me whine. Uh, but he said he was. But, but he did. He helped me work through some career stuff. You know, I turned to the professional for that and some stuff that other people haven't been able to help him with. But then... When I was in my early 30s, I don't remember exactly when, maybe it was August 22nd, uh, 2002. Um, that's when it was. I collapsed under the weight of a secret addiction. Something I had managed for uh, my entire adult life, part of my childhood, that I kept secret, didn't deal with, and it got worse and worse and began to corrupt and erode at me and my soul and my psyche and everything else. And finally, it imploded, and that required major therapeutic intervention. I had to go to long-term therapy with my wife. I had to engage in a recovery group for 90 days or so. I took medication so that I could just get to the place where I could have a rational conversation with my therapist. And because of that struggle, that's kind of like having a heart attack a little bit, right? So I came through it, and I'm healthy, but... There's always a little bit more vulnerability. I've always got to be a little more careful. I'm more susceptible and vulnerable to that attack than the average person. So that part of it will be with me the rest of my life. So that's my story. And I want to ask Ryan to tell his and then Tom to tell his. Yeah, so I don't know how many of you know, <clears throat> but I've, I've dealt with chronic pain in my back for 17 years. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was just one of these things. I didn't have an accident or injury or anything like that. I just woke up one day sore. And um, it's been kind of degenerative since then. And so um, with that comes um, sort of an additional part, uh, additional piece of sort of what I've endured is, is um, a depression that began around the same time as the pain. Um, and at first it was like Tom, like Matt has said, you know, the spiritual immune system, my community, my family, uh, friends, good brothers um, were able to help kind of counsel me through that. It was just a short season of time where... Things were dark and, and then, you know, felt better. Um, and I was productive again and all that. And then I noticed that it happened again, a little bit longer period of time. 
And then uh, a few years ago, we, we suffered a, a trauma, uh, a very traumatic season uh, as a family. And, um, and it, it just set me over the edge, I guess, you know. And uh, I was already kind of in a dark place. And, um, and then just one thing after the next just kind of hit, hit at us. Just life got really, really hard. And so um, I, I got to the point where I just, I knew I needed intervention. I needed some some, something beyond just my daily time in the Word and, and friends and pastors and all that. I think it, it, the stigma is especially, um, uh, what is the word I'm trying to say, uh, very prevalent in ministry because, you know, we feel like we're responsible in, in so many ways um, to, to have our stuff together, you know. And so um, those pressures and, and things, I, I, I just... I reached a point where I realized I just needed, I took, I think, five Sundays off from here to just go and get some counseling, get some help. And, um, and so depression for me was, was sort of the, the cross, I guess, that I've been carrying. And, uh, and with that just chronic pain, I, I don't have much range of motion in my back. And um, those of you who have, have asked between services, I don't have a diagnosis for it. Um, they suspect it might be ankylosing spondylitis, which is a, a degenerative arthritic disease in your spine that's not pretty. But um, in any case, that's, that's sort of been my journey. And mm-hmm. when I've had to, over time, just visit with different therapists, counselors, and things like that. Oh, I brought this book um, because if you're, if you're depressed or have been ever in a place of depression, uh, you understand already that picking this book up and reading it would be like nearly impossible um, because you don't want to do anything when you're depressed, um, when you're really in a low place. But um, So I'm not recommending you just pick this up and say this is going to fix everything. I'm, I'm saying that this, for me, this book is called Spurgeon's Sorrows, became for me a real beacon of hope. Um, and at this with a lot of counseling, talk therapy, also a different kind of therapy I've, I've been going through. And... Um, the book, though, it helped me identify with some, some figures in history who have um, used in, in so many ways their depression, their disorders, their pains to actually accelerate their ministry and their, and their work. And so Abraham Lincoln, for example, famously depressed, C.S. Lewis for a time, Beethoven, the great musician uh, with his pain and his, and his depressive disorders. And for me, the pinnacle of them all, though, was Charles Spurgeon that Matt referenced earlier in, this, in his sermon. He was the, he called the prince of all preachers, and he was just absolutely phenomenal with words. Uh, I encourage you to read anything that he's written. It's just brilliant. But this guy, actually, it's not written by Spurgeon. It's written by a guy who has studied him. And he, he takes just pieces of some conversations that um, Spurgeon had written out uh, in letters taken pieces of excerpts of sermons and things like that and, and really just put it together in a way that just really spoke hope to me that, you know, the Lord, the Lord is doing something good in this and um, that I'm able to empathize with people that suffer that way, um, for example. And so I really found a kindred spirit with Charles Spurgeon and that for, in my case, was just a, a, real, a real help. So that's a piece of my story. One of the things that I love about the book that Ryan just recommended is that if you're depressed or if you struggle with depression, and maybe you're married to somebody who doesn't and has never dealt with it, or you've got friends and they've never dealt, those people have no idea what you're going through, and you alone are aware of that, right? Like, so you'll say to them, it's, it, you're trying to put into words this experience that you're having, and it's so frustrating because if you've never had the experience, 
it, you just you have no category by which to get it. Spurgeon does a terrific job, and these excerpts are really, really helpful in saying what you want to say. It's like you read it, you go, here, you know, read this, because that's it. This guy is brilliant in the way that he describes what he's dealt with. Uh, my issue, Matt talked a little bit about addiction and Ryan about depression. My issue has been more one of anxiety, and I don't think I've made a secret of that. I, I don't, I've not been this open yet, but, uh, but that's going to change. Um, <laughs> Hi, Facebook. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, hey. Hey, Mom. Um, <laughs> she's probably watching. That's not a lie. Uh, but I, I come, I've shared this with you. I'm a wound-up type person. I come from wound-up type people. And my immune system, spiritually speaking, uh, was able to handle that, was able to manage that. Um, I was doing okay, although in retrospect, I was not doing nearly as good as I think or it thought at the time that I was doing. I've learned a lot. So my spiritual immune system was doing, I was managing it and everyone else and everything else as a part of that, uh, just fine for the most part until about five or six months ago. Uh, and then not so much. You know, that's when it became unmanageable for me for the first time. You know, I remember sitting down with a guy and having breakfast with him and, um, and he, you know, I, I drank a cup of coffee before I left the house and then I had more coffee at the restaurant because I was like really early because that's me. And, you know, and then I had a little more and anyway, the food arrived and I looked at this guy, his name's Phil Letizia. I said, Phil, this is going to be really weird, man. I said, but I feel like I'm coming out of my skin and I am walking out of this restaurant right now. And I just got up and left. He's like, oh, 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 and he paid the bill, which Phil never does. Just know that. <laughs> Bring your wallet. Hey, you Phil. you go to lunch with Phil, yeah. Okay, I'm just kind of kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kind of kidding, okay? <laughs> sort of, sort of kidding. Um, but I was having a panic attack. I got in my car and I got onto, uh, onto 17th Street and I started heading for the bridge and I looked and the big massive bridge was up and I completely freaked out because I thought if I get stuck in traffic right now, I, like I'm not, it's not going to work well for me. I turned around, went through the neighborhood and realized, okay, yeah, no, it's too much. My wife did a talk at Rio Women a couple of weeks ago, and I just stole the list of things that, that we had kind of been going through. So in addition to ministry, in addition to four kids, uh, in the last year sort of leading up to the good grief, I can't handle this, we had four surgeries in our house, one of which cost us a driver, and that is a major bummer, man. Like as your kids get older and you have a bunch of them, you become an unpaid Uber driver, and it's awful. And you, you get a driver, and it's like, yes, thank you, Jesus. And then you lose that driver, and it's not a good day. We had three deaths in our extended family. We had three church members here at this church um, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year that we just desperately love. Very, very hard. We did a condo renovation of my mother-in-law's condominium, and we were doing, like, the last touches painting and all this stuff stuff during the holidays because that was a good idea. We moved someone in or out of our house or her condo seven times in one year. We had three kids have graduations, middle school, high school, then she went off to college. That's a big deal, incidentally. Then one graduated from college and then she got married and all of those graduations and the wedding happened in a four-week span. And, and listen, we, the wedding was like the greatest day of our life. Like, absolutely thrilled, couldn't be happier, wouldn't change a thing about it, but it's really emotional 
it's, it's kind of a big deal. And then we've got some family transition issues that we're dealing with. And it was the Wednesday of the wedding that I walked out of that breakfast. And I thought to myself, okay, as I'm freaking out, willing to go over the median if I have to, to get away from the bridge, what would I tell somebody to do? I would tell somebody to reach out to a counselor. And because I have their cell phone numbers, which I'm not giving to you, I called one on the way home and have been seeing one, you see? And I want to say it has made an enormous difference for me. I, I've said to Beth, I'm like, I'm like, I'm thankful this has happened because, you know, I realized I really wasn't managing life all that well before. It just didn't become unmanageable. So we want to destigmatize this, as Matt said, and say, you know what? God has given great wisdom and skill and insight into the hearts and minds and souls of people. And you need to avail yourself of those things. It would be foolish not to, frankly. Thanks, man. Um, you guys want to speak to how medications played a part in that? Because that's another thing that people do a lot of thinking about. Sure. Uh, I can tell you that when I had my I got to leave the breakfast moment, um, I called a Christian psychiatrist who's a member of our church, a truly an excellent mental health practitioner. Uh, by the way, all these people are listed online at that, that link there. Um, and I said, okay, so like, here's my deal. So he gave me a medication prescribed for anti-anxiety, which I took for two, maybe three months all in, kind of weaned myself off. It's not a long-term kind of a medication. Uh, it, I'm not against long-term medications, incidentally, uh, by any means. I think God gives us those things too. Uh, but man, it was massively helpful, particularly at night, because when the noise died down of the day, that's when I would feel it the most. That's when the heart would start pounding and I'd start feeling like, can I catch my breath? And that medication kind of got me through that wave, if you will. And in that, I was able through the counseling then to learn skills and things that I could do to sort of manage this better, figure it out from the inside out. And um, so I was able to wean off of that. I don't feel like I need it presently. Uh, but I'll tell you, if I did, I'd take it. So uh, I will say that. Yeah, for me, medication was a, a touchy subject. Um, I didn't, it's, it's kind of humiliating to go to a doctor to begin with over your, your mental health. Um, it feels that way anyway. And um, it, it was just another level of humiliation and, and sorrow, I think, that I went through when, when um, it was first suggested that I might need to be on some medication. Um, for me, it, it happened because I just, I, I had reached a point where I was uh, so, so low that um, I was not, I was not wanting to live anymore, um, was, was contemplating suicide and things like that. And, and you know, uh, my back working, again, kind of conspiring with that, uh, keeps me up at night, doesn't, you know, produce in me a, a really rational mind. <laughs> and so I realized, but with the help of these guys and, and other friends that, um, maybe for a season at least, as Matt said, to have a rational conversation with a counselor at all, um, at least to just get me going, maybe I, maybe I needed to be on some medication. And so, you know, it took some time to get the cocktail right. I know that probably a lot of you have been through that. Um, I would encourage you, you know, not to, not to necessarily quit, um, which my, my case it actually got worse before it got better. But um, at some point we got the cocktail right and um, I'm, you know, I'm still on this medication and feeling 
pretty good. My lows aren't as low. <laughs> my, uh, it's not as frequent either that, I'm, that I go dark, as I say to my wife. I'm going dark. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. And uh, we've kind of been in, this, in the weeds of this together over the last several years. And I can say these guys are a critical part of my, my immune system as well. And um, so it's just an honor to be up here and kind of see you guys share your stories, knowing what the Lord has done. And um, so the last thing I want to do is have um, these guys just share their passion for this as Christians um, who've become therapists. Uh, and we'll start with you, Heather. I'd, I'd be happy to, but um, first, just I know you are used to your pastors being leaders. And today, I think we should applaud that they just led with incredible transparency. So my passion as a mental health care professional or in this field, specifically a Christian counselor, um, I'm passionate about helping adults um, face their challenges, conquer their challenges and struggles, and make lasting healthy changes in their thinking and their behavior, even their emotions. And um, for me, since I work with just adults in general, um, that might mean that they come in with um, talking about anxiety or depression. It might be this typical life circumstance has gotten away from me in a way that I never would have expected, or it might be chronic pain or illness or even grief. So very common things, really, that people deal with. Um, I've always been passionate about the mind-body connection as a health psychologist, and um, Scripture tells us about the spirit-body connection. Um, so in Christian counseling, we get the opportunity to work with people and use God as our anchor for our hope so that we can fix our mind on Him and His ways. Certainly there are behavioral strategies um, that, that they've mentioned that we want to utilize. Uh, there's the truths and, and science of psychology, but where the real change happens and the thing that's just so exciting to get to witness is this transformation that happens in the renewing of our mind, which is a very common, should be a very familiar phrase to all of us, the, re the renewal of our mind. And, and how we do that is we start to focus our thoughts in whatever the circumstances, rather than on worldly perspectives, those same circumstances focusing our thoughts on how God would have us to view it, how we can view God and how he views us even, what does scripture have to say about it. And so um, when we do that, when we can change our behaviors and our thoughts to be healthy, then we can live with that more productive peace that Matt was talking about earlier. So that's, that's why I do this, and that's why I'm um, incredibly blessed to get to do this. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think Heather and I here, uh, we're both psychologists, but we represent resources. Uh, we represent resources, whether it's through counseling, through psychologists, through psychiatrists, as Tom mentioned. And some of those people are going to be on the wellness list, but there's just, we, we want to want you to know that there is this kind of process where we begin with our, our, our personal devotional life, uh, and we we, we reach then out to community members, through accountability partners, and then there's a time when there's just so much pain or we're having problems functioning. Heather was actually going to mention that, uh, that when, when, as each of the pastors has shared, when 
when the functioning isn't happening, then we, we need to, you know, maybe contact uh, someone at our church, but then we need to go and take that next step. And I just want to agree with Heather and applaud the efforts of our, our, uh, our pastors here to be so transparent about their own struggles. Matt opened this session by uh, this, the service by saying that he felt this would be a real transformative uh, Sunday. And I, in the first service, I was really hit by a revelation that I, uh, as a psychologist, though I had been raised uh, in a conservative Christian uh, family, church-going, and I had a, a, a very nice family, but there were things, especially when I was in high school and junior high in that time, where it would have really made a big difference if my parents had sought some professional help outside of the church. But at the time, even in the Bible-believing church that we were in, the idea of getting outside help, just, it, that just wasn't something that was done. But we live in a very anxious age. So many people suffer now from anxiety and depression. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm also a psychology uh, professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University. But, but one of the things that I've become aware of is just how much anxiety and depression exists among students nowadays uh, who suffer from anxiety. And, and universities have actually had to change sort of like their whole, some of them have had to change their whole budgetary structure so that mental health services could be provided. That was not a line item per se at a lot of universities, or particularly in Christian colleges, and now we have universities who actually, um, one of the, I think it was Stanford, one of the schools out in California now screens every incoming uh, freshman for anxiety and depression because it's so prevalent. So I appreciate uh, what's, uh, what, what's being said here, and, and I just would say that, you know, we, we, live, in the, we live in a fallen world and in that fallen world, God has a particular narrative for each one of us. It could be chronic pain, it could be anxiety, it could be depression, it could be some form of addiction. And in that narrative, God is working to, sh- he wants to work with us graciously. He, he wants to work through his word, but he also wants to work through community, but he also wants to work through those resources that are available to have this transformation occur. And, and this is what Rio has been about uh, from the very beginning. This has always been the story here, that, that, that sense that there is something else that we can do to, to get to that place. And uh, I just appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys for making the time to be here and you guys for sharing a little bit of your story. Um, and... Uh, I'll let these guys go back down uh, and um, finish up. Yep.